Well, hello everybody and good morning. <laughs> My name is Alex and I'm one of the ministers here at Andover Baptist Church. And it's a real privilege to be speaking to you all today as we're going to continue in this series looking at the idea of what it means to be lost and found when it comes to our journey of life and faith. And so far, if you've joined us in this series, you'll know we've looked at a few different stories that we find in the Bible that shed a bit more light on this topic. These are stories that have helped us to reflect perhaps on times in our own lives, maybe when we have felt lost, maybe we felt far from God. And these stories have also helped us to think about what it means to be found by God, to discover faith and to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Within these stories, however, there's also been a bit of a challenge. There's been a challenge to how we might approach others, how we might welcome others who feel lost, alone, or even rejected. And today I'm going to look at how we might clear the way for people who are seeking God and exploring faith. So if you're listening or you're watching today as somebody who is exploring faith, maybe you're not sure what you believe, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Well, I just want to let you know that this message has you in mind. And I really think that there is something valuable for us all to take away from this topic today. Now, I wonder if any of you have ever had an experience of flying somewhere or when you're going on your travels. If you have, you'll know it's actually not always a very easy experience, is it? it cannot, it's not always straightforward. There's lots of hoops that we have to go through on our way to get to our destination. There's certain requirements, isn't there, that we need to fulfill so that we can fly. Things like buying a ticket, having our passport, having our luggage with us. Then there's all those security checks that quite rightly we have to go through now just so we can qualify to fly. And then there's no end of queuing, is there? You get to the terminal, you have to queue to check in, you have to queue up to go through security. And even when you make it to the departure gate, you then face another queue as you wait to board the flight. And that's when a little number or a word on your ticket or your boarding pass really matters. Because this generally determines the order that the uh, passengers are boarded onto the plane. Although not all airlines do this anymore, most of them, they group their passengers, don't they? They put them in different groupings and categories. And these can be based on a variety of different things. Things like how much someone has paid for their ticket or the type of ticket or seat that they have. Maybe they have a certain membership or um, they travel regularly and often. Maybe they're part of a company that gives them rewards or points uh, to fly with. Or, as I'm sure we all know, it simply comes down to luck of the draw, doesn't it? And what seat number you get allocated. Now, I've been uh, quite fortunate, actually, when I was much younger because my mum travelled a lot, abroad a lot, for her work. And uh, so she would often take me on business trips with her, only when they fell in school holidays, of course. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I used to love these experiences. And because uh, my mum travelled a lot for her work, she kind of built up and earned lots of points with different airlines, which meant that when we travelled together, we flew together, we'd have a little word on our boarding pass or a few words that would say priority or priority boarding or something like that. And this meant that when we got to the gate, the departure gate, we would be one of the first people called up to board the plane. And I remember when I was younger that this was so exciting to me that somehow we qualified 
to go up and board the plane before everyone else, like we had a special status. I didn't really realize back then that the plane isn't going to take off until everyone is all on board anyway. But it was that feeling of being one of the first people on the plane that was so exciting to me. It felt like a real privilege. However, now that I am much older and I don't really travel all that much, I no longer qualify for a priority ticket. I'm often in a different grouping now, in fact, and I've had many experiences of being one of the last people called up to board the plane and watching everyone else go on before me. I had that experience of being categorized somewhere much lower and further down the list. And actually, this experience got me thinking a little bit about our experiences in life. Because we all know, don't we, that in reality, people are put into all sorts of different groupings and categories for a variety of different reasons. Sometimes these groupings can be helpful, but more often than not, they aren't, because they're based on things like our heritage, our cultural background, our class, our age, our gender. And these things can deeply impact us, can't they? They affect how we're seen by others, maybe how we even see ourselves, and where we find and how we find our place in the world. And they can often result in barriers being put in place, obstacles that prevent us from feeling like we're accepted or like we belong. And this can really sadly even be the case when it comes to religion. And I want to delve into that a little bit more today. And to do that, we're going to go back about 2,000 years uh, in history to look at a time uh, in history when Christianity as a sort of faith movement was first born, before it was even called Christianity, in fact. And we can read all about this in a book that's in, found in the New Testament part of the Bible that's called Acts, or the Book of Acts. And it's an amazing book because it really does tell this story after, because it takes place after the accounts in the life of Jesus. And it tells of this sort of faith movement, this group of people who believed in Jesus and how that all sort of started and grew. And it's a fascinating story. And it tells of how um, this new faith, this new kind of movement was made up of a small group of people who came actually from the Jewish faith, the Jewish culture and background. And they were people who distinctly identified themselves as being followers of Jesus. This is because they believed that Jesus was in fact the long-awaited saviour, what they called the Messiah, that had been promised to their people. And we can read a lot about sort of the backstory of that in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And it's a really rich and important um, history and heritage. But most importantly, this new group of sort of believers, well, they followed Jesus because, not just because he was a man who walked on earth and taught some amazing things, but because they believed that he was and is the Son of God. That he was God in human form, who had stepped down into earth. He'd come to meet with us as one of us. And, to, and he did this to bridge the gap between God and humanity. And so they believed that it was through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that he'd made a way for people to be in relationship with God and to be saved, which really means to have that relationship and to, be an eternal, to get eternal life with God. So anyway, in this early community of these, uh, these early believers that later were known as Christians... The first leaders actually thought it was their mission to share this sort of good news of Jesus primarily amongst the Jewish community. 
and amongst that tradition. After all, as I mentioned, Jesus himself was a man on earth, and he grew up in a Jewish background. He was a Jewish man himself. But it didn't really work out as expected, because as they tried to spread this message about Jesus, there were some groups of people, of Jewish people in fact, particularly the religious leaders, who actually opposed what they were teaching. Uh, Some of these people were called Pharisees, which I mentioned uh, the other week, so that's a specific group of religious leaders. And they opposed this movement. They rejected any teaching about Jesus. And actually, a lot of persecution went on in those early days. So for these early leaders, also known as apostles, they kind of had to change tact, as it were, because they discovered something pretty astounding. They discovered that although they were finding this message about Jesus was being rejected by many religious people at the time, it was in fact being received by other groupings of people, people outside of the Jewish faith and religion and culture altogether. And these people are collectively known and referred to in the New Testament as Gentiles, Gentile people, which essentially just means non-Jewish or people of non-Jewish heritage. And what was happening was as they were speaking about Jesus, these Gentile people were hearing about him and they wanted to follow him. They were drawn in. They wanted to become believers and they wanted to join in this sort of movement of Jesus followers. However, as you might imagine, there was a bit of a problem. Actually, it was quite a big problem because there were lots of conflicting ideas that were being taught and were being um, shared, especially with the, the Gentile believers, about what it meant to be a Christian, how they could be accepted and belong. And actually, there were some different views on this. Some thought that perhaps these uh, Gentile, believers, Gentile believers shouldn't qualify at all. Others thought, well, maybe they could be accepted, but they were going to have to keep to some particular standards, and they thought they needed to really uh, keep all the Jewish religious rules and law. And so there were these different views sort of uh, bouncing around, and it was causing a lot of confusion. Imagine being one of the Gentile believers. I'm sure it was difficult to understand what it really meant to be a Christian, to be a Jesus follower, and how they could really be part of this new community. However, there were others who recognized that these Gentile believers, well, they came from a variety of different cultures and backgrounds. They had different understanding and different worldviews. So they didn't think that actually it was necessary for them to adhere to the religious rules. And they recognized that what really mattered is that these were people that wanted to follow Jesus. They wanted to have a relationship with God. But as a result, as you can imagine, it was pretty messy and chaotic and all got a bit out of hand. There were many sort of public debates and arguments and disagreements about all of these kinds of issues. I'm sure any of us who've been part of a community like a church or an organization knows that there can be many different views and it can be really hard to reconcile them, can't it? And in this scenario, people just couldn't find agreement. But it all eventually came to a bit of a head actually because a council was convened by the main community of Jesus followers of Christians that were in Jerusalem, sometimes referred to as the church in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is significant because it's still, it's the center of the Jewish faith. It's where Jesus uh, died and it's actually where Christianity was kind of born as well. 
So this council decides it needs to convene and it needs to resolve some of these issues. And it really met to um, try and work out what it would mean to be part of this new community of believers. It wanted to find this common understanding to put everyone on the same page. And actually, there's one particular issue that's come up that's a bit of a catalyst uh, for this council, which may seem a bit odd to us in our culture because it's all about circumcision, which was an important Jewish practice, um, still is today in many Jewish communities. And really, what we really, all we need to know about it is that it was symbolic. It was an initiation right into the Jewish culture, tradition, and religion. And it really has to do with the whole idea of acceptance of being accepted into that community, of being set apart, of being able to be righteous and holy. And actually, many Gentile believers were being taught, well, they needed to keep this practice as well so that they also could be accepted. Some were even saying that this was the only way that Gentile believers could be saved which is quite a bold statement. It's quite an excluding statement too, if you think about it. So anyway, this council convenes and there's some religious leaders there, like the Pharisees that I mentioned earlier. And they support this idea. They think that Gentile believers, they've got, they need to keep to circumcision, but they also believe that they, get, they need to keep to the religious rules of their own tradition. They need to keep to the religious law. And this is the only way that they're gonna qualify and belong. However, there are others there at this council who disagree strongly. And what I find interesting is that some of these people are the main, the key leaders of the Christian faith at that time. There's someone there called Paul, and we talk about Paul quite a lot because he wrote a large section of the New Testament, and he actually is responsible for spreading Christianity throughout a lot of the world. There's also a man there called Peter, and Peter was a friend and disciple, a follower of Jesus whilst he was on earth. And both Paul and Peter, have, they've been traveling around spreading this news of Jesus. And they've had some amazing experiences. But these experiences have challenged their own beliefs and their own uh, ideas. Because they've seen people from different backgrounds and cultures turning to God, wanting to become followers of Jesus. And actually, they felt that God has revealed to them that no one should be discounted. No one should be disqualified from being part of God's family and from being in relationship with him. I love, for example, what Peter says when he addresses the council. He says this, God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he's talking about his, the Jewish people. He goes on to say that God made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Peter's essentially saying here, isn't he, that God's plan of salvation is in fact for everybody. It's for all people, both Jews and Gentiles in that context. And that actually all that is needed to qualify is faith. This is how to be part of this new community. There's no us and them anymore, not in God's family. And it's not about religious rule keeping or meeting particular standards. Although I think what's interesting is that it is acknowledged that this may still be really important for the Jewish believers. It's important that they keep to their sort of tradition. And I, I think it's important that that is acknowledged. However, it's ultimately decided at this council that they shouldn't 
impose such rules on the Gentile believers because they recognize this isn't the way to salvation anymore. Jesus is the way. And what this means is that such barriers as keeping religious rules and standards, which are pretty hard to do anyway, well, they can be removed. They can now clear the way for more people, people from Gentile backgrounds, from different cultures, different backgrounds, where they can come to know God freely. And the person chairing this council is somebody called James. And he's been listening to all of this. And he gets up at the end to sort of summarize and draw the discussion to a close. And James is important because he's thought to be Jesus's uh, brother, actually, or half-brother. He's also considered to be the leader of this community of believers in Jerusalem, the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he's thought to have been quite a devout religious man himself, so he has credibility. And he's been listening to all of these discussions, and he gets up and he says this. My judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult. Such a simple, isn't it, but powerful statement. And he does go on to outline some basic principles which he thinks the community should live by. And he does this because although he's passionate, isn't he, about removing those barriers, about being more inclusive, he recognizes that there is a problem of integration. There are people from different backgrounds coming together in this community. So he highlights some guidelines, and these are actually taken from the Jewish tradition. And he does this as a means of just trying to um, create a bit of fellowship, a bit of harmony in this uh, community. But it's important to note that these guidelines, they're not prerequisites for acceptance. They're not prerequisites for salvation. It's just a means of bringing people together to respect and love one another. There's a paraphrase of these up on the screen at the moment, which I'm not going to go into in depth, just to show you what those guidelines were. But they're there, as you can see, really for people's benefit. He gives a warning at the beginning, doesn't he? They're there for the benefit of the community. And they're more about guardrails. They're to do with what good, healthy conduct is when it comes to people's uh, own lives, how they, um, how they conduct themselves, how they take care of themselves, what they worship, how they use their bodies, how they behave in relationships, and the food that they eat. I think James here is just trying to create a bit of common ground, because as we know, all communities need some basic guidelines, don't they? Some basic rules to abide by just to help the harmony. But I want to come back to that conclusion that James comes to saying that they need to remove the barriers that prevent people from coming to know God, that prevent people from being accepted into this community. And as I was reflecting on that this week, I, the thought came to my mind that how profound the outcome of this decision would have been. This profoundly impacted the course of Christianity from then throughout history. Because from that, then people could go out and they could spread the good news. They could share the news about Jesus without there being any barriers to get in the way so people could come and be part of that community. And from there, actually, the Christian faith sped, spread to other countries, to other nations and cultures, to eventually reach nearly every country in the world, which is where we find ourselves today, which is remarkable when you think about it, isn't it? All because of that one decision not to keep the Christian faith 
only to a small group of people, not to keep it enclosed, to keep an us and them sort of approach, but actually to take down those barriers and make it available to all people. You know, we often say here at ABC that we want to be a community where you can belong before you believe. And if you have been part of our community in recent years, you'll know that we've taken deliberate steps to try and make this a more welcoming and accepting place, a more welcoming and inviting community. And actually, as a staff team, we often talk about this idea, we grapple with this, we think about ways that we can remove barriers for people who are seeking God and exploring faith. We often think of ways that we can clear the way for people who are exploring. We want to make it easier for people to get to know Jesus, to encounter God's love. And if I'm honest, this can be really challenging for us because it can come up against our own ideas, our own prejudices, And it also can challenge our traditional ways of doing things. But I think it's something that Jesus himself demonstrated so well. Because he accepted people up front. He accepted them as they are. And he accepted people from all different cultures and backgrounds and lifestyles, in fact. And he simply invited them in. He invited them to get to know him, to belong, and then to believe. I think for any of us who call ourselves Christian today, and we are followers of Jesus, that's an amazing thing that he modeled, isn't it? And I think we all want to follow that in our hearts. And yes, I believe that life change and transformation then follows once we belong, once we believe. But I think it can only happen authentically when our hearts are open to God's love, not because some rules or regulations are forced upon us. That's how there's authentic change and transformation. Our attitudes, our behaviors, our lifestyle even, will be transformed. And we do need rules, don't we? We do need guidelines for any community to live together in harmony. They're good, they're there for safety and safeguarding, and today is our Safeguarding Sunday, and we're really passionate about that here at ABC. But such rules, such religious standards, they're not prerequisites to being accepted. They shouldn't act as barriers that stop people from feeling like they can belong. They're not the prerequisite for salvation, in fact. And the good news is that we all get the opportunity to be part of God's family. Not because we fall into certain religious groupings or categories, because God sees us equally all as his children, but we get this opportunity because of Jesus, because of what he has done for each and every one of us. And if there is a priority grouping in God's kingdom, although I'm not sure there is, I like to think that it will be for those people who are seeking God. We talked about this in the past few weeks, how God prioritizes the lost, which means that we should too. So what does this mean for our lives today? Well, I think for those of us who would call ourselves Christians as we're committed to being followers of Jesus, I think we need to ask ourselves if we make it difficult for people who are seeking God, do we put unnecessary boundaries and barriers in place for those who have questions about faith? Are we clearing the way and welcoming the lost 
welcoming in those who are searching and seeking. I wonder if we've ever inadvertently put people off from coming to church or getting to know Jesus because of our own behavior or attitudes. I know I've certainly been guilty of this before. But if you're listening today as somebody perhaps with questions about faith, about God, maybe you're exploring, I hope you feel encouraged to continue. Maybe you're someone who has been put off Christianity in the past. Maybe you've had a bad experience with church or even with Christians because it happens, doesn't it? Maybe you've had that impression that it's all about religious rule keeping and you've been made to feel like you just don't fit in or you can't meet those standards. Well, if that is you today, there is good news for you and for all of us, in fact, because no matter what impression you may have had, whatever experiences we may have had in the past, the truth is that God loves each and every one of us. And he accepts us and he accepts you. And he wants to welcome you into his family. He wants to invite you to be part of a loving community where you know that you matter to God, no matter what impression you might get from others. And to know that you qualify because of Jesus. And that, in fact, you already belong. Let's pray together. Loving God, I just thank you for who you are. Whatever impression we have of you, whatever experiences we may have had in our lives of faith, religion, or even, maybe even in church, Lord, just I pray you would remove any barriers that are getting in the way of us from encountering your love and from getting to know you personally through Jesus. And Lord, we are sorry when we perhaps put others off, when we put those barriers in place. Just give us your heart, Lord, for those who are seeking and those who may be lost. And help us to create that community here in our hearts, here at ABC, where we would welcome others in, accept them and love them for who they are, and they would feel and know that they belong. Amen.